welcome Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. We are all... So now a part of the Minute Media Podcast Network, which will kind of be under the fan-sided brand of things. We're really excited about that. Also, for everyone joining us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you haven't already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Philadelphia Phillies, dropping the set two games to one. It is their second straight series loss. They are, however, still in first place in the American League East, one and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. As always, a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston, co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I've been better. <laughs> um, I uh, once again just had my heart broken by my countrymen, and uh, I know we're crossing sports here, but you know, those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know. So congratulations to the Italians. Well done. Um, but hey, at least I got to you know wash the pain away by watching the Red Sox take two out of the. Oh wait, no, 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 they lost two. Yeah, no, they they mailed it in before the All Star break too. Okay, great. Yeah, so today was a fun day. Yeah, I'm a little annoyed. You had Kike Hernandez the other night complaining that the All Star break for the Red Sox this year is one game short because it's a four game set against the Yankees, and I'm like. I get up at 4.30 a.m. six days a week, and I ain't a morning person. Charlie gets up, we'll get to him in a second, and he goes running for a mile and a half because he can he can do it, you know? So I just, these Red Sox players don't have it that bad. They play in a great city for a historic team. Who wouldn't want to play the Yankees on a Thursday? I just... Right. Yeah. And then they, they played like crap these last uh, couple of days the entire team every aspect of the team starting pitching bullpen lineup all just completely fell on their face in game two so so when we talk about the disclaimer ladies and gentlemen in the audience this might be one of those episodes where if you're a homer gonna be tough to listen to but it's who we are no other red Sox podcast Tells it like it is, like we do. We keep it real here. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? 
Um, I'm with Jason. I actually was happy to witness a piece of Euro Cup history that England scored the fastest goal in Euro Cup history in one minute and 56 seconds off an amazing cross. And the left back, who I'm a huge soccer fan, usually never scores any goals. Halfbacks never score. And Luke Shaw came out of effing nowhere and just poked it in the back of the net. And I'm like, wait, did that just happen? Two minutes haven't even gone by. Um, but I did think of you, Jason, and I actually started watching some new reality TV shows that I kind of want to talk to you about because I know you're probably going to have some input. <laughs> where, where can people find you on Twitter? If you really want to taunt me and continue to rub it in uh, until the World Cup next year, you can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. Um, that's color spelled the English way, O-U-R, because, again, I you know root for England. So there you go. You can just keep <laughs> rubbing it in all you want. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, not at all. I so this was I was rooting for England too. This would have been the first major title for England, and this is a Red Sox show. This would have been the first major uh, title for England since '66 when they won it on home soil. So uh, I actually was super excited, thinking, "Oh my God! Like we got this! Like we got this!" And I may, I should just shut my mouth. Um, but you know, similar similar to Jason, disheartened to, to see that. Um, disheartened to see Brazil lose too the night before against Argentina on Brazilian soil, and then. The Red Sox somehow lose with Pavetta on the mound. It just, that was tough. It, it was really hard. Uh, 0 for 3 for me. And uh, Smith underscore MLB on Twitter is where you can find me. Before we do get into studs and duds, the Red Sox extended Matt Barnes to a two-year deal with a team option for a third year. I don't have strong feelings about it. It's not an expensive contract. How do you guys feel about it? I'm okay with it. I always figured that Barnes would finish his career here. He just seemed like one of these guys that he wasn't going to go and take a big money deal somewhere else. Not that he would possibly get one, but I'm okay with it. The money's fine, and I still think that he's a pretty good reliever. He's still a solid part of your bullpen, so I'm okay with it. Charlie? Uh, it was to be almost expected based on what we've seen him do this year. Worst case scenario, you have an eighth inning guy if he's no longer your closer and you've shifted your attention to somebody else. Um, it wasn't a bad move, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't think you expect to hear news on something like that on a Sunday morning in July. It's mostly trade talk at this stage of the game, but Barnes will be here for least another two years and i think he's 32 now if i'm not mistaken so that will bring him into his age 34 season and then age 35 if the option gets picked up so i guess with that we will get right into it studs and duds jason who's your stud for the series yeah it was tough to pick studs for this one because uh with the offensive explosion in game one and then the offense not doing much after that, it was kind of like, okay, you know, who we, who, who really stood out here? But uh, I went with Darwin's and Hernandez, um, three innings, three strikeouts, no walks, no hits, no runs. It's really all you can ask for from, you know, a, a left-hander out of your bullpen. This is a guy who's been up and down. I feel like all year started out the year real bad. Looked like he was not going to stay on the roster. Uh, he's really turned himself around. And, you know, in a series where your rotation kind of let you down, 
you needed the bullpen to come in and, you know, put out the fire a little bit. And I felt like Hernandez did that. He, for his part, at least he did that. Um, so, you know, the ERA is under three now heading into the all-star break. I think that's much better than any of us could have expected for him um, at this stage of the game, given again, how he started the year. And he's a young guy. Again, he's one of these young guys on this team that you look at him and you go, okay, if he can continue to develop and continue to sharpen his craft, then he's going to be really valuable down the road. So I was impressed with him. I thought he pitched well. Um, I hope he keeps it up because the back end of that bullpen is going to become super important in the second half. Like it's, you're going to need guys that are going to be able to go in there and throw strikes, get guys out, not mess around, not put people on base unnecessarily. So lately he's been doing that. I just hope he keeps it up. It's been really good. Charlie. We've, We've seen Darwinson Hernandez have moments of sheer brilliance where he's striking out eight guys out of nine. And then we've seen him where he walks two, three guys in a row, um, which is incredibly frustrating because this was the guy that I, I want to say of the five of us to begin the season, I want to say two or three of us saw Darwinson Hernandez as the potential closer or the guy that we, we wanted to be the closer. Uh, and it just it wasn't going to be the case, given the fact that uh, there's just too much uh, inconsistency. There are more games where he walks one or two guys than games where he walks nobody, it feels like. And where you're walking over one guy per inning uh, for for multiple months on the average, it's not I mean, it's just not healthy. And the month of June was kind of like a turnaround for him where he, he did do a little bit better. But so far um in the month of july rather small sample size uh it kind of has regressed back to that status of a walk per inning and the fact that his era is the the fact that his era is as low as it is is a testament to his ability to pitch really well um i'm just hoping that he can right the ship and kind of bring it from the month of june on because his era hasn't been going up it's actually been going down and that's, I think, one thing to continue to monitor going forward. I hope that he's able to continue this. I mean, I, I wanted Darwinson Hernandez to be the closer of the future for the Red Sox to supplant Matt Barnes when Barnes eventually basically passed the torch on. So I'm hoping he can, you know, kind of carry on building and, you know, strike out more guys and walk less. He had his best series in quite some time in the the two appearances he had, Darwin's and did. And it seemed like when the sticky stuff got banned, he scuffled a little bit. He only gave up a couple of earned runs in that time, but in six out of his last eight games, he, he did give up at least a hit also a walk in some of those. And there were some multiple hit games in that span as well. But in this series, he was completely locked down and pitching wasn't, super great throughout the series so it, it was a nice bright spot and hopefully he does have things ironed out I, when you said his era was under three i had to look at it myself i'm like geez it is i figured it was probably mid to upper threes without looking at it so definitely encouraging to see there i figured he'd be the closer of the team by now barnes is still having a, a very good season and I think there's still some ironing out to do for Darwinson, but he's weathering the storm. 
at the very least. Charlie, who's your stud for the series? My stud for this one was uh, Hiro Sawamura. Uh, in, in the series itself, he pitched just under two innings, but similar to Jason's pick, was incredibly consistent, didn't allow any runs combined between the two of them. They didn't allow a hit. Uh, an inning and two-thirds, he struck out a batter. His overall was just under 70% for strikes, and that's a, a statistic that I actually monitor quite a bit. Darwin's and Hernandez wasn't always – it was like 55 60%. Now he's hovering at 80% for this last series. And no, he wasn't pitching two innings each game or anything crazy like that. But still, the fact that he was able to get in there, not walk a batter, not allow a hit, not allow a run is incredibly impressive. The reason why, like – Hiro Sawamura so much is because if you span the last 20 some odd appearances, I'd have to go back and count um, probably 20, 22 appearances, 22, 23, 20, 23 appearances. He has allowed a run in one, two, three, four, five of those earned. Four of those are only by way of the home run. He does. He does great. In game, his ERA since the beginning of May has dropped over a run, um, and he's continuing to build on that. The reason, the only reason why it's like, ah, oh, man, it's kind of frustrating, is you're still giving up home runs. But find a reliever who doesn't give up a home run every once in a while. He still has one of the more lethal pitches on on the uh, in the bullpen. So I'm just going to continue to enjoy seeing what we're seeing, and considering how much money we're paying him, I- I'm completely okay with the output that we're getting from him. So. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, he was he wasn't even a guy that was uh, fully on their radar heading into this year. They just sort of, you know, they looked into it and they said, okay, we can get him for kind of cheap. Let's take a shot, right? Like, hopefully, he ends up being a you know full time member of the bullpen. Worst case scenario, we spent a little bit of money and it didn't work out. We can just cut our losses. He's now become really valuable. And I think he is getting better. I think he's getting a little bit sharper. Uh, Charlie's right. He's got to cut down on the home runs. He still gives up the big fly a little too much. Um, but, you know, he's he's adapting. And he's slowly becoming a guy that you can rely on in the late innings. You know, I think beginning of the year, it was sort of like, okay, let's let's use him. But let's use him when we're ahead by three or four or use him in the sixth inning. Now you're looking at it like Red Sox are in one-run games and he's coming in. He's coming in to pin- punch someone out. Um, the the split finger, I think, is one of the best that we've seen. Uh, hopefully, it gets even better, and he really starts to sharpen that. And then, you know, then he becomes really nasty. And he's another guy that like could potentially see some closing time at some point. You know, again, and, and this is, you know, this is if Barnes kind of falters or if Barnes can't stay healthy. But I think Sawamura could end up being a closer at some point. So. A great signing again just a guy that they sort of took a shot on they weren't sure how much he was going to pitch or how much of the bullpen he was going to be a part of but he's been huge and the contract is great for them so i'm really happy with Sawamara. i'm glad that he's here the red sox have at least four high leverage guys you got barnes you got Ottavino. you got taylor who sadly we'll get to in a second had his epic run Come to a crashing halt, followed by an explosion, followed by <laughs> something else awful you might want to add to it. But Taylor still going to be a, a big weapon going forward. And, and then you have you have Salamora. So that's four guys. Most teams don't have that kind of depth 
in the back end of their bullpen, but the Red Sox do. And I love watching Salamora. I probably get more excited to watch him than anyone else in the bullpen. I love how fired up he gets when he gets that final out of the inning. Love watching his splitter. And his fastball gets up to 96, 97 miles an hour. So the dude's a weapon in in the bullpen. I don't know if he eventually slots into a eighth inning roll, possibly a ninth inning roll, but I hope we see him a lot. He's 33 years old, been around a while in Japan, surprised he hadn't come over sooner based on what we're seeing now. And I think we got him for like a million and a half dollars. <laughs> Pennies. I think we paid that much for Matt Andrees. But I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I like the guy a lot. Yeah. And I forget the name of the other Japanese pitcher that they were pursuing in the offseason. I um, don't either, but he didn't end up signing with anyone. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, there was another guy that they were going after, and he didn't end up signing, and we sort of, we went with Sawamura, and everyone sort of went, ah, okay, option B, maybe not as good, but it's worked out. There there were a couple of players internationally that the Red Sox were going after. Sawamura was one of them, and the other player ended up signing with the Padres, who ended up being like their second base shortstop, who didn't really pan out to anything. I think he's, I don't even know where he is on the depth chart, if at, at, if at all. The other pitcher that you're talking about, I can't think of his name either. You're right. He didn't sign at all. He's still playing internationally. He might come back next year. Who knows? Like, really depends. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still super content that Salamore signed, and for for the baseline price, even if he's whatever for the next two seasons, I'm okay with that. Yeah, he took Koji's number as well, number 19, and Koji apparently helped recruit him over to the Red Sox. So, and Koji was 38 years old when he recorded that final out of the World Series. So just because Sawamura is 32. He, they were also teammates, I think, for like a year. Oh, were they? Okay. I think so. I have to double check that. But was it a year or two, Jason? I think it was just a year. It, it was it was brief. But yeah, I, I do believe they were teammates at one point. Yeah. And and, and uh, he received glowing, um, like he, he had heard nothing but good things about uh, being a member of the Red Sox. I think that's ultimately what's steered him in the direction of being in Boston was our former former closer. My stud for the series will be J.D. Martinez, who made a big impact on the game that we did win on Friday. That was the 11-5 win. He hit a three-run shot off of Vince Velasquez. I think that was in the fourth inning. And the Red Sox were actually down at that moment. Uh, three runs to two, so the three-run bomb put us up five to three, and we kind of ran away with it after that. And JD actually had another RBI double. It was a ground rule double, actually, which ended up it would have drove in two runs, but because it bounced into the bullpen, only one run came in. But we we were off to the races, like I said, as far as scoring went, and it was a clutch shot because. It was a 2-2 count with two outs in the inning. So we've had issues with stranding base runners at, at various points this year, and we JD made sure we didn't strand them in that at-bat. 
Also, very impressively, J.D. Martinez has a league-leading 28-game on-base streak. So there was a 13-game hitting streak at the start of that, and, and then that went away. But he has continued to walk and typically does have a hit in most games. Uh, he was only 1 for 5 on Sunday, 0 for 2 on Saturday, but again, two walks in the game. So continues to help the team where he can. He is currently en route to Denver right now, probably has actually landed in Denver. So he will probably get some at-bats in the All-Star game. But Jason, thoughts on J.D.? Yeah, he's. it's kind of weird. He's quietly been like one of the most consistent, most valuable members of this offense. Um, I feel like a lot of people just around town don't talk about him as much. And maybe it's because like after last year, so many people were like, oh, please opt out, get out of our face, or, you know, get, get rid of this guy, he's done. Um, you know, he, he turned a lot of people off with the whole, I don't have my iPad, so I can't hit anymore kind of thing. Um, but he's he's really turned it around this year and i don't know if it's the ipad i don't know if it's that you know he's finally putting in the effort because he admitted that last year he didn't care and he didn't put in any effort um but he's he's been awesome and he's been part of that core in the middle of your lineup you know him bogart stevers like they're still driving the offense um and he's you know and he's playing well in the outfield too like who saw that coming i mean the few times he's been out in left field he's throwing darts he's you know he's throwing guys out of the plate like he was always seen as kind of a liability when he was out there so i feel like he's really just he's having a good all-around season and we're just lucky that he didn't choose to opt out because the red sox are actually contending this year and he's been a big part of that so i'm glad he's you know an all-star he deserves to be um i hope that he can stay healthy i hope that he can keep doing this you know throughout the course of the season because that middle part of your lineup is it's it's the engine it, it drives your offense it's one of the best middle parts of the lineup in the american league so he's been awesome um the power's there the defense is is even there now like it's kind of incredible so hopefully he keeps it going yeah i'm i'm gonna say that i don't remember the last time that i saw jd having highlight reel put outs and throw out throwouts at home like we we know what to expect from Renfro. I don't think I could say that I was that confident about JD in the field because there have been some times where I'm like, did we forget to pay the brain bill here? Like, what are we doing? So there were, there were a couple of moments where uh, I was a little bit thrown off, but the even if the defense wasn't what it was this year because it's been better this year than it has been in prior seasons, he's only committed a couple of errors this season. Um his offense has more than made up for it. I mean, I remember we talked, uh, Andrew had mentioned at the beginning of the year that his expectation for J.D. Drew was, I think he said like 75 to 80% of the of what we saw a couple years back. And I was like, maybe. And after the first month, it was like 120% of J.D. Martinez from a couple years back. So, I mean, it's hard to deny what you've seen this year. And I, I'll admit it, I was a real... Uh, I have to be G-rated here. I was not a very big fan of J.D. Martinez yes, uh, last year because of the excuses, and he's turned it around, and I'm happy about it. So uh, I'm going to continue to ride the high and let it keep going because he's an all-star this year. 
He's got his batting average back up to 301. It had slipped down to about 275 or so. And he's got a pretty high 373 on base. So like you said, Jason, very quietly getting it done. I want to throw something in here. I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and... I mentioned that, yes, this this is probably going to be J.D. Martinez last year in Boston. He's probably going to opt out. And after he does, I don't think Heim Bloom is going to want to spend big money on him to clog up the DH position. You know, looking forward, you're, you're going to have potentially Casas in the lineup, Downs in the lineup. And this, this is in the next year, I mean. Devers... Bogart's defense getting a little kind of sketchy. Not He's not having a very good year defensively. Bogart's isn't despite having his best offensive season. So I just kind of threw it out there that I don't think JD's coming back. And the backlash I got was intense. Like everybody's just kind of sleeping on this. Where are you guys at as far as JD's status going forward? Like, number one, is he going to opt out? And then number two, does Bloom value that type of a player at probably 34 years old next year? Yeah, I I think the second half is going to tell a lot about that. So does he keep this up through the second half? Does he end the year with 30-plus homers, 100 RBI, you know, that kind of stat line? And, you know, I don't think it matters what the Red Sox do, whether they – go all the way to the World Series or they're like an ALDS exit or something like that. Um, I I think he's going to probably opt out and and that he he's not and he's done. I, I just because I think Bloom now, especially he like you said, is he really going to overextend to bring, you know, try and bring out a, a guy who's in his mid 30s? They've gotten the most out of J.D. Martinez that they could like they, they've gotten more out of him than they thought they would. So I think at this point they're ready to move on. Um, and I think he's probably ready to move on, so I don't see him coming back. I think that if he has a ridiculous second half of the year, then he's going to end up opting out if he doesn't, or he gets injured, because I think part of his contract also mentioned that if he had the... I'm not, I don't remember how to pronounce it. Liz Frank? Liz, Liz Frank? Injury? Then automatically, uh, part of that contract is guaranteed. Whether he were to opt out, it's automatic. So if that ends up being a part of the second half of this season, I don't remember the contract stipulation exactly, but I remember that injury was something that when he signed it, it was going to guarantee a, um, an extra year or an additional year uh, to automatically like click in. Um, if he does really well, I don't think he's coming back either. I, I'm going to mirror what Jason said. Um, he has every reason to opt out, especially if, in the near future, whether it be 2022 or 2023, it's going to be universal DH, which opens up the door for him um, for an additional, you know, 15 teams. So we'll see. Well, look at it this way. If he opts in, he's owed roughly 19 million and change. Okay. So if he opts out and he gets burnt and nobody offers him a big contract, he's still probably going to get a 10 or $12 million deal next year. So he'd only be screwing himself six to eight million dollars with the potential to still get maybe a three or four year deal at fifteen to twenty per year. So I don't even think it's a huge gamble 
on Martinez's part to even opt out. No, I agree. I, I think that he can get close to what he's already going to get anyway on the open market. Um, will it be the same number? Will it be more? Probably not. Because especially after the last couple of years, these owners are going to get cheaper and cheaper because they're going to cry poor about how much money they lost because of the COVID season and all that. But he's still going to get something close. He'll get close to market value anyway. So, And if he wants the years and he wants the security in that, then absolutely. That's what he'll do. I agree. He's going to get paid one way or the other. If he if he ends up taking a little bit less money, he's still going to get several years. And there's going to be a team that says, yes, I want to take advantage of your multiversatile uh, position eligibility. Like You're going to be able to play potentially right or left field, depending on the stadium that he's at. He's always going to be uh, happy playing the DH role because he's done that very well. So it's, I mean, it remains to be determined what actually is going to happen. If I mean, he's had his best stroke of luck as far as his career has gone in Boston. If you look at his numbers in Detroit, you look at his numbers in Houston, he has spent four years in Detroit. He spent four years here in Boston. He's had his most damaging years here. So it, it's something else to, to consider. Like, where does he want to spend the, the remainder of his career? Does he see himself going year to year? Does he want one more chance at getting like a four or five year deal? The Red Sox aren't going to pay that. So I don't know, T. I just think Bloom will love to have the flexibility of that DH position to rove guys in and out of it, perhaps use it as like a rest night in a way for some guys who need to get off the field for a game or so, but, and we got some offense coming. Casas is coming and Duran will be here and downs will be up. So it's just hard to, you can't keep everybody. So for anybody who's thinking about JD, possibly not being here for the first time, it is not the end of the world. Believe me, the Red Sox will be scoring runs next season. Some honorable mentions, Alex Verdugo, 4 for 12 on the series, drove in runs in two out of the three games, did not strike out one time either in his 12 at-bats. Xander Bogarts, 3 for 11, wasn't super potent throughout the series. He did get exactly one hit in all three games, and actually two of those three hits were home runs. Then out of the bullpen, Yaxel Rios continues to to look pretty good. He did get thumped once in the Angel series for a few runs. So on paper, his earned run average doesn't look good. But he did have two scoreless outings, including uh, nearly two innings pitched today. He got five outs, only giving up one hit, one walk, struck out one. Any thoughts on any of them? I love the the stat that Verdugo didn't strike out once in this series. That's it, that's exactly the kind of hitter that he is. Like he he just puts the ball in play. He doesn't have bad at bats. Like even when he's in a slump, he it doesn't seem like he has bad at bats ever. He never looks completely overmatched. He never looks like he just doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so it, it's it's just great to see that like this guy who you know really shined last year when you know his first year here. He's just continuing that. He just looks like he's continuing to progress at the plate. Looks like a real professional hitter. Um, it's it's great to see. I so I don't 
I know Terry will use this expression to cracks me up. I'm not going to drink the punch on this guy, and I still I, I won't do it for him either because Yaxel Rios was a guy that when he came over from Seattle, I was like, who is this dude? Like, what is this? And then a couple of appearance people were like, oh, my God, he got this amazing out, and he did fantastic. I was like, oh, my God, you're, you're sipping the Kool-Aid after a third of an inning. And the third game he pitches, he gets rocked. He just gets destroyed by Kansas City. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, we are so screwed. And then since then, since then, he's quietly brought his ERA down like half. And he's only had one bad game since. So I will not drink the punch on Yaxel Rios. But I will say I am thoroughly content with the fact that he's not Mad Edries 2.0 who, when he comes in, it's a question of, is he going to allow two runs, three runs, or more? And it's been painful to watch Andre's pitch because it's, I, I, I said this in group chat, he's like the villain in a Batman movie who just won't effing die. He's just there who extends a game by like 20 to 30 minutes because pff, why not free baseball? It's just, it's tough. It's tough when Andre's is in there. But I'm glad that Rios isn't like him. Two other guys had good offensive performances. I purposely saved them for the end. Christian Vasquez, 5 for 11. Hunter Renfro, 4 for 11. And Renfro was coming off of a rough couple of series, so it was nice to see him turn things around offensively. But both of them played at least a small role in the loss today. Vasquez got caught between first and second because he was expecting the ball he hit off the wall to go into third base, but McCutcheon, being a a smart outfielder, threw it to second, and he got caught. And had he stayed on base and the inning played out the way that it did with Arroyo getting a hit, and I think Dahlbeck got a hit that inning, that could have been the tying run. So hurt us there. Renfro hurt us earlier in the game by trying to gun down the runner going into third and the ball took a weird hop off of the corner of the grass and Devers couldn't come up with it. Ended up out of play so the run automatically scored and what was frustrating about it was Renfro had no shot whatsoever to get that out so... It's fun to watch him try, and he's made some brilliant plays, but hopefully his judgment is better. But if that run doesn't score, and then Vasquez scores later on, or or just either one of those plays ends up not uh, burning us, we could be looking at a different result today. And it, I'll just say this, because we're getting into the dud section. Going into that last inning today, Game 3, you had Martinez, Bogarts, and Devers as your one, two, three hitters. All three of them in Denver right now, but we couldn't come up with it. And Suarez on the mound, Girardi got two innings out of him in the eighth and ninth, was having a terrible time locating uh, his pitches, so couldn't make the most of it. But a little disappointing there. But getting into the dud section, Jason, who's your dud for the series? Martin Perez. Um, did everyone enjoy Perez Day on Saturday? Was was that fun for everybody? What was the final score of that game? Eleven to two. So look, I, 
it's tough. It, th this guy is a end of the rotation, back of the rotation guy. Okay, we, we've known that for a while. I think this early on in the season, he uh, <clears throat> might have been using some tacky stuff to get by, and you know, was was pitching a little better, pitching a little bit above his pay grade. But this is who he is. This is who Martin Perez has always been. You idiots out there who dubbed Perez Day and, you know, he went on a little bit of a run where he won, like, what, you know, a couple of games and the ERA was under four. All of a sudden, oh, make fun of Martin Perez now. Okay, I will. He looked like he looked lost right out of the chute in that game from the very first at bat against Segura, who took him to the moon. And then, you know, he gives up another bomb to Alec Bohm, who has his number, too. Alec Bohm's like five for six now against Perez with a bomb. Like, he just didn't have it. 73 pitches, couldn't get out of the fourth inning. Like, it's we, we keep talking about what's going to happen with this rotation going forward, right? When Chris Sale comes back, if they make a move at the, at the deadline, like, who's going to be the odd man out? And I think we all agree that it could probably be Garrett Richards. Martin Perez is on that list, too. Like, let's not let's not kid ourselves. The, the seven and five, like, a little bit inflated because Perez typically gets pretty good run support, too. Like, He's just a back end of the rotation guy and everything you saw in the first part of the season where he was, you know, going six, seven innings and he was shutting guys out to me, it was smoke and mirrors because he's now back to just being what Martin Perez has always been. So, you know, this is what you're going to get now. It's, you know, hopefully the second half, however many he has left, um, hopefully he doesn't completely crap the bed like he did on Saturday, but this isn't good enough, not for a team that wants to contend. I am going to, uh, well, I, I feel like I need to be a little bit not negative because I'm, I'm going to be very negative in about four and a half minutes. Um, that's foreshadowing for you listeners out there to know how much I love these guys uh, and, and hate some other ones. Um, Martin Prez was never the answer. He's had, I, I think, I, I have to look back because I think it's been like 13 or 14 starts. He's he's had three quality starts all season. So one out of five means you're going to get six innings out of him. He's allowed one run or less in three games this year. Same number of games as you would with quality start. Um, if he doesn't get the run support, you're taking the L here too. And it's unfortunate that, I mean, the first inning, the first batter, and it was it was a battle. But what actually kind of made me almost tee off really quickly was the second home run because it was like a – it didn't really look like you were hiding it either. Like that pitch just so gracefully just changed right over the plate and Beam didn't miss it or Boehm. Is it Boehm? I don't know how to say his name. Um, just launched it. And that ball will come down sometime this week. Um, it's just – I think that Martin Perez safely – is the second man in the rotation who's on his way out. And yeah, he came back and he signed a lot for a lot less money and whatnot, but this is the Phillies. This isn't a team that you have to be very scared of, in my opinion. These guys, you, there's really only like one or two guys in this lineup. Segura is one of the only ones that's consistently hitting. Bryce Harper is another one that's consistently hitting. Where the heck are some of these other clowns? They're hitting like 230, and you can't get them out? It's just he he was what he th we thought he was. You know, per Perez is that five that five starter 
and it's it's going to be tough to watch. And this was another one of those starts where it was tough to watch. I was a little optimistic about Perez because he had two decent starts coming into this one where he pitched in both of them five and one-third innings and only gave up two earned runs. And his ERA was, after the last game before this Philly start, under four, which surprised me when I saw it. But he only went three and two-thirds, like Jason said. I was, admittedly, I was listening to it on WEI because it was an earlier start, and they were pointing out the body language again and that he doesn't have it. And he only gave up, let's see, what was it, Jason? Three earned runs. And he went three and two-thirds. So the telling thing for me is that you could have, there was a case to be made that he could still stay in there and grind it out. But Alex Cora probably saw what was going on and said, you know what, screw this guy. He, he He's not even acting like he wants to be in there. He's not even acting like he wants to try. And I'm speculating, but looking at the pitching line, knowing some of the rougher outings and the fact that he does seem to be having meltdowns when he's out there on the mound, I'm just wondering if the the manager and the coaching staff are frustrated with him. And I keep saying there is going to be an unforeseen move happening before the trade deadline. Somebody's going to get moved. A couple weeks ago, my expectations that it could be Perez would be pretty low. But Chris Sale's coming. They're going to need to make room for him in that five-man rotation. And they might also want to make room for Tanner Houck. Maybe not immediately, but maybe at some point in August or September. If I mean, especially with like basically a week off coming up, there was no reason for Cora to pull him out of that game early. Except yeah. for, he, like you said, he just had no confidence in him. He just saw Perez on the mound and, you know what? This guy doesn't have it. He's toast. So... That's concerning, big time. It just looks like Perez was so frustrated that he quit on himself. He was quitting on himself, and he got pulled from the game. So, Charlie, any more thoughts on Perez? If not, go ahead with your uh, dud. Uh, My dud of the year, excuse me, my dud of the series was Garrett Richards again. Um. I, I think I coined I, I don't remember what the exact expression was. It was something in relation to like how Matt Hall sucked and I was over him and Garrett Richards was gonna be my dud. What did I say? Did I say he was gonna be my dud of the season or my dud of the Is that what it was, Jason? I don't I, I believe you said dud of the century. Dud of the century, yeah. <sighs> whatever it was. I just remember Terry put it on Twitter. If anybody can find that, that'd be amazing to pull that one out. Um this was another one where you threw 85 pitches, and yes, congratulations, two-thirds were strikes. You also committed an error, although it didn't affect the game, thank God. You're still one of the most consistently inconsistent pitchers we have. You can't get into the sixth inning. In fact, you haven't done it since the beginning of June. One and a half months. I am counting down the moments 
until you are no longer in the rotation, you are no longer a name I have to see. The number 43 used to have love attached to it, and now it just has stupid attached to it. I know that when Garrett Richards pitches, it's going to be eventful. You might as well just accept the L. I know our friend Dougie went to go see uh, Richards pitch, and I apologized, and they ended up winning. Go figure. It's also his first win since May 19th. So it's been two months since he's experienced Dubland. Uh, this is not someone that I trust. This is not someone that I like. And for, at the time, the lead that you had, Alex Cora still was like, nope, we'd rather have our bullpen pitch because we trust them more than we trust you. Five innings, 85 pitches. You didn't even get the chance to do a quality start because your own manager doesn't have the faith in you. Doesn't that tell you something? It really should. And I didn't count the number of curveballs in this game. I know that I did the last time. It's it's not good. And similar to what Jason was saying about pitchers being on some uh, sticky stuff and having to relearn pitches or start to throw pitches a little bit uh, more regularly. Now he's throwing a changeup more regularly. I think the fact that he doesn't have his curveball with his sauce on it is making the difference between him being decent and not. I'm completely okay with you eating innings when you actually eat innings, not come in and say, yeah, eight innings, three and a third as a starter doesn't qualify. I need you to go five or six on a consistent basis because there are some games where you go four or one and two thirds, and we just need you to go five to six ish, like get into the sixth inning, try it. It's cool. It's fun. Some starters are doing it and you're just not doing it. Not nearly as consistent. In fact, the last, what is it? Seven starts, eight starts. You haven't gotten into the you haven't you haven't pitched past the sixth inning. It hurts. It really does. I don't know, Jason. So we've we've talked about Garrett Richards a lot on this program, uh, rightfully so. Usually in this section of the program too. Um, it, it just to sum it up with him, Garrett Richards is a soft, jittery idiot, and he just it's always something with this guy. Like what was the beginning of the year like? They had an early series, like in a cold weather, and it's like, oh, I don't have my coat. I'm not used to the cold weather. So he didn't have his coat, that you know, and that screwed him up. Now he doesn't have his curveball, and he's talking about, I got to learn how to pitch again, or, oh, I got to develop a new pitch. Like, I don't know. I'm just glad I made it this far in my career without, you know, them instituting this new rule or whatever. It's like, it's always something with this guy. And the the fact that the Red Sox have two pitchers in their rotation who – as soon as they get into a little bit of trouble, regardless of what the score is, Alex Cora is like up off his ass and being like, you got to get out of here. I got to get the bullpen in here. And look, I don't think the Red Sox necessarily have a rock star bullpen. It's pretty good. It's pretty solid. It's better than what we thought. But it's not like, you know, they don't have like what the Royals had in 2015 where they had like an all-time bullpen where the starters only had to go four innings and the rest of those guys took care of it. But the fact that Cora is like so antsy when Richards and Perez are on the mound that like as soon as they get into trouble, he's up off the bench. He's like, oh, no, come on, let's go. We got to get you out. That's not good. Like you can't have that as a contending team. If you're third place, fourth place, you're kind of middling, whatever, fine. But essentially now what Garrett Richards is because he doesn't have his curveball and, you know, he doesn't have whatever stuff he was doing, his precious little sunscreen, whatever it was. He's essentially now an $8.5 million reclamation project that you are trotting out there every five days and hoping 
that he doesn't completely crap his pants. And lately, that's what he's been doing. So, I don't know. The patience is wearing really thin on this guy. Um, I hope that moves are made and guys come up and guys get healthy and we don't have to watch Garrett Richards start a game again. I don't know what you do with him. I don't know if you make him a long reliever or a stretch guy or something, but don't put him in the rotation anymore. This can't keep happening. So I remember at one point he had, he had made a comment. I don't remember if it was after the first or second start. He was like, I got 32 starts to get it right. Like, dude, you think you're going to last 32 starts? Tara and I both were like over under 15 and a half starts, probably under because he's never pitched, what, 75 innings in the last four seasons? Like, well, I, I said at the time, I was like, he's never made 32 starts in his career. Yeah, the guy's yeah. not healthy enough to do it. It's like, what's he, he talking about? Right. And the idea, just the thought of throwing $10 million at as a club option for next year doesn't seem just stupid. It seems um, not a logical. There's a word that I can't think of. Damn, it'll come to me. Um, it's like not dangerous, but it's something like that. Like, irresponsible that's the word i was looking for 10 million dollars to this man seems irresponsible and his 1.5 million dollar buyout i was actually looking back at his contract his 2022 option and buyout may increase it may increase based on his 2021 performance but there's no information given so is that a total number of innings pitched is it a total number of wins? Is it days on the roster without being injured or suspended or how many strikeouts? Whatever it is, that terrifies me because your buyout of like $5 million, I'd rather pay you $5 million to not be on the team than $12 million to be on it because I don't, I don't, I don't feel, I just said it three times, I feel terrible with him on this, on this roster next year. Like I, we need to be able to find other options. I don't care what they are. You're going to have sale there. You're going to have Pavetta there. How He better be there. If he's not, I'm going to be really disappointed. Maybe Seabold will be there. Um, I, I, I just, every day that I have to see Garrett Richards come out every fifth start, I'm like, someone please find the whiskey, find something so that I can dull the pain. It's funny because it doesn't matter even if Garrett Richards has an okay outing, the Red Sox fan base still hates him. There's Garrett Hugger, Garrett Richards Huggers would would be on the endangered uh, endangered species list um, if if that were a thing. But ha- having said that, though, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't looked great, but he's grinded his last three starts he's pitched at least five innings three starts ago he was two outs into the sixth inning he gets into trouble early in a lot of these starts and then seems to settle down and gets us a little bit deeper into the game his changeup is becoming I don't want to say a weapon but he's starting to throw it effectively and I I think that's what's keeping him in the game he hasn't really thrown his curve very much because realistically, and he's been very realistic about it, he can't. But 57 of his 85 pitches this last outing were strikes. So, and, and we've won two out of the last three starts. So, I hope his future is short with the Red Sox, but 
he's trying a little bit harder than Martin Perez, so I'm going to give him that. That's true. I, I, I would at least give him that. Yeah, he's. I still think he's soft, but he is at least putting in a little more effort because, yeah, I, I agree with you about Perez. He looks like he's just checking out. Yeah, and Perez, I mean, if he's on, then he doesn't seem to have any problems. It's when he gets into trouble, he's he's just emotionally defeated at that point. But my dud for the series, I'm going to go with Nick Pavetta, who's been up and down. Seems like every other start he gets knocked around a little bit. And he wasn't doing too bad into the fourth inning until... With two outs and a 3-2 count to Ronald Torres, gave up a three-run bomb. And we were behind by one run before that at-bat. So Torres, excuse me, his three-run bomb made it 5-1 to one today. And it was an uphill battle after that. We did come back to make it interesting. But um, it that one mistake, and it, it was a middle-middle pitch, a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, grooved right down the middle. Maybe he was just trying to get a contact out and get out of the inning. Torres is about the same size as Jose Altuve. Not the most intimidating presence in the batter's box, but it was a mistake nonetheless, and it was one of a few factors that cost us the game and our second series in a row. So... Hopefully, I want to see Pavetta get a little bit more consistent and hopefully not give up more than two or three runs per outing and be that middle-of-the-rotation guy that he's kind of showing us. So I'll say this much about Pavetta. Pavetta was um, coming from this team. They already know what he does. The other thing that hurt was as far as that home run went, he threw five straight, fa- four or five straight fastballs. It was fastball, 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 fa- it, and eventually he just cranked one. Um, you can't be that consistent. You can't throw five of the same pitch in a row. And I think that's what did him in. I'm curious to see what would have happened because if you don't give up that three run homer, maybe we win this game. Who knows? So I think that also is something to, to take into consideration. If you fall in love with one pitch way too much, they're going to catch up to it, and they're going to eventually figure out, all right, another one's coming. The odds are just in your favor at that point. Yeah, I've, I've liked Pavetta pretty much all year. I think that he's given them a lot more than we ever expected. Um, but he does always have that one moment in every start where he just kind of runs into trouble for almost no reason. It's almost like he kind of does it to himself, uh, and it's usually in, in the way of a home run. Um, and I think, Terry, you're right about the Torres at bat. I think that he was pitching to contact at that point, and I can't really blame him because Ronald Torres has been in the major leagues for seven years. He has six career home runs. So this guy's not a power hitter, like not at all. Altuve's a power hitter. Like this kid, he's just a small guy who doesn't hit for power. And I think Pavetta was just trying to get out of the inning trying to pitch to contact, trying to get a, a ground ball, and he got caught. And he you know, he paid for it. But there always seems to be something like that with these Pavetta starts, especially lately. you know. And, and that ERA is starting to climb up now. He's up to 4.3. you know. And it's look, he's a guy who came in here with a career ERA of six. So 
it, it's a little bit concerning that he's starting to, you know, regress a little bit. But I still am way more confident when he's on the mound than I am with Perez or Richards. So maybe this is just a blip on the radar. He's going to get a nice week off. He's going to get some rest, um, get recharged for the second half. So ultimately, I'm still not completely worried about it, but he's got he's got to cut down on the mistakes because that's what's doing him in. Charlie, any any more thoughts? No, I mean it, it was what it was as far as he was concerned. I'll always give the team that a player has come from a little bit of an edge. They know what he does. They know what he likes to fall in love with. It wouldn't have mattered really which which player went yard on him because I feel that what team is going to have a better scouting on you than the team that you came from? You were here for years. So I'm, I'm not surprised. It just sucks because he has been uh, good as of late. It, it stinks because it was, it was the Phillies, you know? But, I mean, it just as easily could have been Bryce Harper going yard and just hitting one 500 feet. I'm happy it wasn't Bryce Harper. Um, but it was what it was. And at the end of the day, I don't think this series is going to dramatically alter the trajectory of this team because they've way outperformed past anyone's wildest imagination. So we'll keep it going. Yeah, just a mistake today and six runs uh, given up two starts before today to the Royals, but had pitched pretty well in between those. So hopefully this break kind of resets a lot of these guys who need it and he'll continue to be that middle of the rotation guy, like I said. So normally we would do a series preview right now. We're not going to do that because the the Red Sox do have the week off. We will have a midweek show nonetheless and then preview the Yankees series on that night. However, the other big news of today, aside from the Matt Barnes extension, was the Red Sox drafted a shortstop with the fourth overall pick. His name is Marcelo Meyer, and he comes from East Lake High School in Chula Vista, California, was widely regarded to be the top position player in this draft, and a lot of mock drafts even had him number one. So Andrew Dwan is making a cameo appearance here on this early week edition. So Andrew, your thoughts on not only the pick, but how the first three picks went. I can't believe it. Honestly, I really can't. It seemed like it was going to be Meyer to Pittsburgh, you know, sign, seal, deliver, delivered. The fact that they took Henry Davis, then the Rangers, you're like, all right, it's going to be lighter. Hopefully it's not Meyer. And then they went lighter. And then you're, you know, you're crossing your fingers, holding your breath when Detroit's on the board. And then they go a high school prep uh, right-hander. Unbelievable, especially after what Baseball America just did to us around noon today and said Matt McLean was looking like the likely fourth overall pick who no one wanted. You know, Devin Marrero kind of type guy, just a college shortstop with no upside. And then they pull off the number one overall pick, you know, like prospect. It's unbelievable. Fangraphs already has him lined up as the 37th overall ranked prospect in baseball. I am unbelievably happy right now. 
Meyer's got 360 grade t- uh, tools presently right now. Um, if you listen to like Prospect Live or uh, Future, I think it's Future Podcast by Baseball America, they have him at a 70 grade hit tool. And we haven't seen that from any sort of prospect in maybe ever uh, in the farm system here. So this is just a step in the right direction. Him and Casas are now one in one a for our top player in the uh, in the program right now, and I can't believe that we walked away with him. I was getting really nervous that we were going to go under slot with the wrong player. Now thirty seventh, according to Fangraphs, does that make him number one, or is Casas still above him? Casas would still barely be above him, okay. but uh, above him right now. And what's a comp, like, in the past decade, I mean, he kind of looks like, to me, like he has a bit of a, a Francisco Lindor-type build to him. But, I mean, who who stands out as far as comps to you? <laughs> the easiest and most common right now is Corey Seager. And okay. Corey Seager, in his best year, was a 5.3 war guy. So if you can get that for eight cheap years... This is just an unbelievable job. I can't believe that other teams let him get to this. I don't know what he, you know, threw on the table for his demands. Probably something similar that Leiter did and scared Pittsburgh away. I'm just guessing that Davis was like, dude, just give me like five and a half and I'll be happy. And (laughs) I'm sure we're not going to have much to spend at uh, pick 40, even though there's some good players available, but. I don't care. Give me, you know, some high school or some college senior at 40 at this point. I'm I'm going to be happy. Now, on the midweek show, your number one projection at the time and I know it's hour to hour as far as how things can change leading up to the draft. Uh Henry Davis, who is a catcher, I I forget where exactly where he comes from, but how Louisville, sho- yeah. Louisville. And how shocked were you that Ben Sherrington made that pick? Because you had kind of been critical about Sherrington and his Red Sox years. Uh, yeah. I just thought that they would take I who knows what their window is, honestly. Cabrian Hayes is their best player. He's going to be the only one there long-term. I guess they aren't too worried about that, and they'll take a guy that's going to be up in the next two years. But we've seen Pittsburgh do this in the past when they took BC catcher Tony Watson uh, about maybe 10-plus years ago now at the fourth overall pick, and it made no sense then. It made no sense now. And they're they're just worried about how much money they can save. We'll see if they spread it out to a guy like Judd Fabian or an Adrian Del Castillo or even a uh, James Wood um, when they're selecting next. But I, I was surprised that they took Davis. I really didn't think that was going to happen. I wasn't I wasn't going to be too happy if we took Davis, but I would have accepted it. He's going to be a good player. It's a lot's going to rely on what they do with rule changes because he's not the best receiver an amazing arm um you're not gonna he's yachty behind the plate with his arm but he can't frame he can't call a game as good as anyone right now but yeah i'm beyond happy with, with pittsburgh taking henry davis yeah, it was pretty surprising. I, I don't think there was a single mock draft having him going number one. I'm not a prospect guy or a draft guy, and I don't pretend to be. So, um, But even even I was a little surprised by that. Jason, what were 
what were your thoughts, I guess, on the pick? So initially, I was happy we didn't take Davis. I didn't want a catcher. Like that's stupid. Don't take a catcher in the first rounds. Dumb. But I really wanted Jack Leiter, and and you guys know this. Like I've been I've been the Jack Leiter president of the Jack Leiter fan club ever since you know his name popped up. So I was really pissed off when when he went to Texas. Like I couldn't believe that Texas took him, and he's going to get ruined there, by the way, because Texas can't develop pitching. So have fun, Jack. Your your career is basically over now. Um, I I was not thrilled. With the mayor pick, the Meyer pick, because like I, I didn't want another infielder. I wanted pitching, but then I look at it and I go, well, okay, who are you going to take? Because everyone said, oh, take you know all of Twitter, the Carabas is you know take Kamar Rocker or this draft means nothing. I wasn't sold on Rocker, like I you know I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with what we were hearing about him leading up to the draft. And by the way, he went to the Mets now. His career is over too. So the two two of the best pitchers in this draft, their careers are over because they went to two teams that don't know how to develop pitching. Um, look, if this kid Meyer is as good of a hitter as Andrew's saying, and he's he's that good of a prospect, fine, I guess. I just really wanted pitching because I, I look at the Red Sox pipeline pitching wise, it's not great. It, it hasn't been great for a while. It's something that they really need to address because, you know, and not so much for like next year because it, no one they took was going to pitch next year anyway. But the next five years down the road, like you're looking at guys getting older and you just who's your guy now? Is it Mata? Is it Connor Siebold? Is he going to turn into something like I wanted pitching? So, look, if Marcelo Meyer ends up being a stud prospect, if he does end up being a Lindor or he ends up being um, you know, someone like that. Great. I'm just not sold on it. And I really wanted pitching. So. Uh, hopefully they, they can, I don't know, use some international slot money somewhere or, you know, they can rebuild their, their pitching pipeline through trades or something like that. But it is what it is. Kind of crazy that um, Rocker didn't even go as a third pitcher selected. Frank Mazzucato, who I had, um, you know, penciled in as a projected guy maybe at 40, he jumped up with the Royals took him. I was beyond shocked with that so i don't know what's going on if rockers throwing out some high demands with being able to go back to college and market his image but man i i guess i would assume he would sign in new york but who knows at this point charlie so i was actually doing a little bit of research on uh the shortstop so andrew based on what i hear you say you're not thrilled that we got him I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, for those who couldn't see it, I was trying face, to unmute was, there. I was like, oh, crap, yeah, like, oh, put down my drink. What it is, is Charlie a complete moron? Not a complete moron. Uh, but from what I was able to read about this kid, he actually went to the same school as Adrian Gonzalez. He had a ridiculous senior year, uh, missed Adrian Gonzalez's record for, um, I think, most home runs in a season. He had 15, and, and uh, this kid had 14 which is still awesome for a senior. He had, I think, 14 bombs and 45 RBIs. His last hit was a grand slam that won the game. Now, I don't know if you guys are, like, romantic about baseball like I am in some some moments, but that's pretty special. Um, and if all of those tools and all of those traits that Andrew just touched up on, because I also, like Terry, do not know as much as Andrew um, and Jason as far as prospects, I did want a pitcher. I, like Jason, also wanted lighter 
when he went off the board, I was like, great. Well, I guess we're getting Rocker. And then when we didn't get Rocker, I was like, wait, what? So I, I wasn't I, – I didn't know my my honest emotion because in the moment, it didn't matter who we got. We still didn't get lighter. And that's kind of why I was a little disappointed. But listening to what everyone has said about him, if he's really behind Cassis right now and we're you know, a couple years away from seeing – a 20-year-old Corey Seager playing in Boston. Oh, my God. Assuming this is how good he is or how good he could be, I'm not going to say that I'm as – I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Um, I won't say I'm as disappointed. And we can completely come back to revisit 7-11-21 if this kid blows up and he's crazy. So everyone could say, oh, well, Charlie, you were wrong. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean – Congratulations! You're an 18 year old kid. His first, his first like two minute interview uh, after that, he was super excited. He also grew up a Yankees fan, so that was another bit that I don't know if anyone else had done the research on. So that was a little bit interesting. They didn't ask him any questions on that because that could have potentially been a little bit hairy. It wasn't like you know seeing Aaron Judge wearing a Red Sox uniform or something like that, but just knowing that he was a Yankees fan was a little bit, eh, you know, a little interesting. But you know. That's it. That's our guy. So let's just see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, Meyer's got the – just – he's got the pedigree right now. When Keone Kavaka was getting scouted a few years ago, who was selected in the first round by the Twins, that's where we're showing up, and we're like, who the hell is this kid? Like, oh, that's Marcelo Meyer. He, he's better. <laughs> and, you know, he wasn't even draft eligible at that time. He was 15. And he was getting all this attention from the scouts. I, this is just I, – I can't wait to see what we do in the second round tomorrow to see what kind of bonus we're going to give him because this is ridiculous. He has to command 1-1 money, and the Red Sox will obviously give it to him. But I, the figure he threw to the, um, the Pirates, it – I, I can't even imagine what it would have been. W- weren't they saying that he was going to get something like six six, and the Red Sox have like eleven million of pool money, and he was projected to get six six for pool money? Well, no, he, he's going to get more than that. He's probably going to get eight and a half, and that's so? I think what the yeah, that's what the one one for the Pirates would have been. I think it was about eight eight and a quarter, if I'm not mistaken, and the Red Sox was about seven and a half. So they'll they'll uh, they'll juice it up a little bit for him. Hopefully, I mean, if he signed for slot, that'd be fantastic because there are some really good players still available and some local kids too. But hey, at this point, you, you pay him what you pay him, and you figure it out. And I trust the scouting uh, scouting department to you know fill in the draft. You Do know, you think such. that he has a chance of signing under seven? No, no, oh no, no, definitely not. He'll be like seven and a half, eight. I, I would, wow. I would honestly expect him to be higher than whatever the Red Sox uh, slot is right now. Probably okay. like half a million over it. Okay. So at this point, does he report to the Gulf Coast League, or is there some other type of rookie league he would report to? I mean, they'll probably. It's going to take a second for him to sign. I don't know what the deadline is. Uh, this year, it, they've all. I mean, this draft is later than anyone, uh, you know, any other one we've had before. Uh, so I don't know if he would just go to Fort Myers, like the um, like just the complex league. But it, it's 
you know, to be seen. They're not going to rush him. The California kids ended later than most players uh, just because they have a longer season. So they might just tell him to hang out and just go through like physicals and just instructions. But I, I don't see him playing competitive this year. So this is the other thing, too. He was, as a freshman in high school, he had already committed to USC, which if he actually ends up, and I don't know how USC does as far as baseball. It's not like, I mean, the, the better, the best baseball schools as far as college, it's like University of Mississippi or uh, Arkansas. It's one of those, it's one of those Southern schools. I think Mitch Moreland went to one of them. Um, I, I don't think he's going to forego uh I, I don't think he's going to forego that kind of money if he's really getting that. Like, I think he will opt out and just go, you know what? I'm going to pass on college and I'm going to take this money right now and begin my professional career. I would find it incredibly insane for the number four pick to say, mm, I'm going to try to go number one next year and I'm going to go to college for a year. Well, you can't even go to college for a year. That's the thing. You would have to go to college for three. Or two oh, is that it? Years. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, he would have to go to college for a few years. That it, they they fully commit you to going. Like lighter was a weird one because they gave every freshman like an odd thing with COVID this year. They let you be eligible. I don't know. It was who knows what the rules were, but yeah, he would have to go to college for a few years. That's why a guy like Matt McLean, who was drafted uh, a couple years ago in the first round. And now he's getting drafted this year in the first round by, I don't know if it was a D-backs or someone. I, yeah, you, ha- you have to put your time in. Too much risk for them. Yeah, and the Red Sox wouldn't have taken him if they weren't sure, you know, that, that it was going to work out. And they're obviously not worried about the money because if they were, then they, they would have went under slot or whatever. But... All right, I guess that will do it for this early week episode. We will be back in 24 hours with Hot Take Tuesday, so be on the lookout for that episode. And we'll probably have a show on Wednesday night focusing on maybe the trade deadline as well as the Yankees series preview. So be on the lookout for that one as well. Everybody have a good week. Take care.